we're uh oh i forgot about that we're talking about supporting the preachers um the right to financial support well we talked about that last week i believe uh summarized because it's in this section <clears throat> paul said if i preach the gospel i have nothing to boast of for necessity is laid upon me yes woe is me if i do not preach the gospel he had been commissioned to preach the gospel therefore if he did not do it he would be disobeying god that's why he would come under condemnation he had to preach the gospel because it was a command something he was charged to do and he says if i do this willingly if i preach the gospel of my own volition now the lord has told me to preach and if i want to preach i have reward <clears throat> but if i do it against my will i have been entrusted with the stewardship and the idea is i must do it and i will because that's what god would have me to do uh when he when he did it willingly of his own volition he uh the reward of course was in the work itself and if it hadn't been a desire his to do nevertheless it was still an obligation and he would do it in Colossians 1.25, he said, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. There's the command. Uh, it's like being baptized for remission of sins. It's something you must do. If you do not do it, then you're disobeying God. And in this uh, same measure, Paul was commissioned by Christ himself to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. If he had not done it, he would have been violating the law. So either way, uh, he was obliged to preach the gospel. Of course, in Paul's case, he was doing it willingly, something he wanted to do. Well, what is my reward then? Verse 18. Uh, that when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. <clears throat> that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Uh, his reward was the fact that he didn't take money from the Corinthians to preach to him. Uh, he didn't receive a salary. Uh, they gave him nothing, actually. He preached the gospel because he wanted to, and they were not obliged to support him. And he said, that was my reward. It gave me great joy to do so. Uh, the joy, no doubt, would be, I think, because uh, the people would be more receptive to listening to him when he, when he spoke uh, because they knew he wasn't after their money. Maybe this guy's sincere. Maybe he believes in what he's saying. Uh, it goes a long way, especially in a place like Corinth where they had so many uh, men who made merchandise out of religious people. <coughs> Uh, presenting the gospel of Christ without charge was his reward. That brings us into the next section, uh, to win the loss to Christ, verses 19 through 27. Uh, he had the liberty. He could have taken it. Uh, he could have uh, received support from the Corinthians. He chose not to for the reasons I just explained. Uh, he was struggling to win the loss to Christ. Uh, he talks about his battle. He did this through self-denial. For though I am free from all men, 
notwithstanding, I made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Uh, he, he, he became a, a servant. His attitude was that of servitude. Uh, he looked at uh, the Corinthians as an opportunity to win people to Christ. Uh, and it was his good pleasure to do that as a good steward, okay? That was uh, the mind of Paul. Uh, it's it's kind of hard. The, the point that he's making, now, Paul received funds from other people. He received funds from other churches. Uh, there were churches that, well, they just loved him. And when they had uh, a little money in the bank account and somebody's going in his direction, they would send that money to him. And uh, that supported him most of the time while he was in Corinth. He did spend time building tents, but most of the time uh, he could preach and be sustained without tent making because he spent a, a lot of time uh, debating with uh, the wise men and the, the merchants of the city. But he made himself a servant that he might win the more, uh, that they might turn to Christ through his efforts. To the Jew, uh, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. Every preacher knows what this means. Uh, you, don't just, you don't just go in and, and, and talk to people about Christ uh, without putting yourself in their shoes. If you go in and you talk to a person uh, who doesn't believe in God, then you go in as a person who's going to try to explain why it's wise to believe in God. Uh, you go in uh, as, in a sense, as a non-believer, though you're still a believer, but you have compassion on their position and you deal with them from that point of view. You have to empathize with others, uh, like an atheist, for example. Uh, I think it's foolish to be an atheist. Nevertheless, I can empathize with atheists. Uh, apparently, one of two things, they haven't been exposed to the evidence proving that there is God, or number two, they have and they just don't want God in their life. Okay, this has to be determined uh, by the teacher when he teaches people. And this is what Paul's saying. The Jewish mind, uh, I became like a Jew. I, I understood their ways, and I dealt with them on their level. To those who are under the law, as under the law, those who lived under the law, uh, that I might win those who are under the law, uh, law of Moses. Uh, there were uh, many Jews uh, who lived under the law of Moses. There were more that did not. Uh, the Jews have always been... Uh, kind of more towards atheism than they are towards Judaism. Even today, it's still that way. There's many, many, many Jews in the United States, for example, but there's very few that practice uh, the law of Moses. Uh, they're not religious people. Uh, truth be told, most probably are at least agnostic, and uh, no doubt many are atheists. Uh, they, they just don't believe. Uh, but to those who did live under the law, 
he approached them from that vantage point. To the Jew, he's speaking about a national Jew, and now he's speaking about a religious Jew, those who live under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. Of course, these are people who live under no law. Uh, he, he dealt with them from their point of view as well. He had to become all things to all people. It, it takes a, a great deal of study uh, about humanity, about a lot of things. Uh, I've probably taken, uh, I don't know, I can't even guess anymore. Uh, I've had years of uh, classes in denominational uh, seminaries. Uh, so that I could understand uh, what Baptists think, Presbyterians think, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I used to deal with folks like that a whole lot, not so much anymore, but uh, I, I had to know what they believed before I could talk to them intelligently. So I went to their schools of preaching and I, I tried to understand. Uh, and this is what Paul's saying. He, he took the various points of view that existed and he put himself in their shoes and he preached Christ beginning from that point, which uh, is, is, takes a lot of time. Uh, he said, I, I acted as though I was without law, though I was not without law toward God, but I was always under the law toward Christ, okay? He, 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 he put himself in their shoes, though he never disobeyed the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? They... Uh, they would have, uh, they would have uh, probably had a hard time understanding Paul if he had not done that. That I might win those who are without law. <clears throat> to the weak, I became as weak. Uh, he, he's empathizing with all these various groups. That I might win the weak. Uh, you can be weak in a lot of different ways. Um, I don't want to say too much what I think. Uh, some people are, uh, are fearful. Fearful. Uh, they're weak. Some men are, are, are weak. They're not, they're not strong men. Not talking about physically strong. Uh, weak in character. incapable of making decisions, uh, unable to chart a course. Uh, some people, a lot of people, uh, have to be led. Uh, and it's always been that way. It's not something new. Uh, Paul could empathize with their uh, position. Of course, Paul was the very opposite of that but uh, he could empathize with their position and speak to them on their own level. I, I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And that's what he's, that's what he's doing. Uh, in order, he, I became a servant to lead people to Christ. And in order to do that, uh, I put myself in everybody else's shoes and dealt with them uh, from their vantage point and brought them forward to the Christ. He was obviously quite successful at it because he made a lot of converts. Uh, and these converts would have come out of these various groups that he's talking about. Uh, you, you can't, uh, a 
a lot of people, for example, uh, they don't like Church of Christ uh, because we're the only ones that think we're going to heaven. Uh, we're mean-spirited and a lot of other things. Uh, I think we have that reputation because uh, many people approached others uh, with the wrong spirit. And the way they did it, uh, they uh, made people angry and uh, those people now are no longer receptive to listening to us. They might listen to others, but not listen to us. Uh, we have a, a pretty good mixture in our viewing audience of people that do listen to us, but uh, it, the, the goal of a person who wants to win another person to Christ is to win that person to Christ. It's not to go in there and prove a point. It's not to go in there and bully somebody or, 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 or make people afraid in, a, in thinking they're going to obey the gospel. It's reasoning with people, and you have to do so in, in the proper way. Uh, nobody's ever right in their approach, but I mean always right in their approach, but uh, we have to make the effort. We have to. I don't think all people should be personal evangelists, for example. You know, that was a big thing back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Personal evangelism. I mean, I got caught up in it, too. I got my projector. I went out and did all these Jewel Miller film strips and all the other stuff. Uh, I don't think that's really a wise thing to do uh, because uh, too many people are not capable of speaking to others in a profitable manner. They, they tell the truth. Yes, they do. They tell the truth. But sometimes it's how you tell the truth. Uh, some, well, people that hate the truth, of course, they're always going to get mad. You can't worry about that. But uh, there's a lot of people who are possibly receptive to the truth, but you have to approach people from where they are not from where you are. So Paul said, I became all things to all men. I did it for the gospel's sake, uh, that I may also be a partaker of its fruits along with you. Uh, this was his commission. This is what he was supposed to do. He did love doing it, but he still had the obligation to do it. It was just not work for him. It's like somebody said, if you like your job, you never work a day in your life. Uh, I never found a job where I, that I liked other than teaching the Bible. Uh, it's the only job I really like, but all the rest of them, uh, not so much. <laughs> Just had to live, so I went to work. And Paul didn't. By faithful living and fulfilling his responsibility, Paul was going to receive a reward. Uh, he was going to receive a gigantic reward in the end uh, he was struggling to win the loss to Christ through his own self-denial. He was willing to put his life on hold so he could be a servant to others for the sake of other people that he might win them to Christ. Uh, it's a humongous sacrifice the man made. He devoted his life to uh, this one purpose and nothing else. Uh, he was a courageous man, more courageous than I ever was, but uh, he was a very courageous man. 
do you not know that those who run in a race, all people run that run, but there's only one who receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Run. He's not saying that only one person is going to go to heaven, but run like a runner runs with all your might. A runner, he doesn't just get up one morning and go run in a race. Uh, people are probably thinking about the Olympics or one of the other Grecian games. But uh, uh, practice running. That's what runners do. They, they, they run all year round preparing for the fantastic race where they might win a gold medallion. Uh, run your race as a Christian like them people run is basically what he's saying. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Uh, they've got themselves under control. They're disciplined. Uh, they, they've allotted their time throughout the year. Uh, they, they set aside so much time for preparation. They, they discipline themselves in every way that a runner who runs a race would have to. We're not running a race, but we are to discipline ourselves. Uh, what we do, how we speak, uh, that we, we use words of grace rather than just words of condemnation, uh, being wise, as wise as we possibly can. This is prep preparing ourselves. This is disciplining ourselves. We have a goal. We have an objective. What is the goal, the objective? To win other people to Christ. And we are to prepare ourselves to that end. Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. We're to follow his example, walk in his footsteps. What is our primary mission? To seek and save the lost. But to do that, we have to train like a runner trains. We have to train with all of our might perfect our skills, hone our skills, uh, and become the best me I can possibly be. Uh, I know my life has changed dramatically from the time I became a Christian, my conversion, until today. Uh, it's like uh, I'm not even the same person any longer. Uh, my thoughts, everything's changed. It's My world's turned upside down, you might say. Uh, my BR can testify to that because her world had to test turn upside down too. She was along for the ride. But uh, this is what we are to do with our time. Sometimes I hear people say, and it makes me sad, if you can't have any fun, what's the use of living? We were not created to have fun. That was not our purpose, that was not our goal. That is not supposed to be our aspiration, our chief aspiration at least. As we live, we have opportunities to have fun, but that's not our, our goal. Our goal is to win others to Christ. Uh, there's no good reason for us to be alive except to lead others to Christ. If we were not trying to lead others to Christ, the world might as well end right now. Because the purpose of our being here is gone. And there's no longer a reason for us to continue living. I'm not saying 
that our whole world is wrapped up in leading others to Christ with the exclusion of everything else. It's not. There's a lot of things we have to do. We have to work. We need time for our families. Uh, we need fun time. We need to be able to go play. Uh, but we do that uh, as an opportunity rather than as a goal. We aspire to be with God. And we prepare for it. And we run our race the best we can. That's all any of us can do is the best we can. Uh, and the Lord will make up for our failings, shortcomings. He makes us whole. Uh, everyone who competes for the prize has to be temperate in all things, uh, exercising self-control, basically. I haven't seen this screen in a while, so forgive me if I forget part of it. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Uh, they want to win a gold medallion. You know, you stand up there on the podium and you get a gold put around your neck. Uh, we do it for the imperishable crown, the crown of life, uh, when we cross our finish line. I'm going to talk about that in the next hour. Uh, I think uh, I've been wrong about what I believe for some time now. Uh, I think I know the correct view, and uh, I want to share that with you. But I want you to know that I, I believe I made a mistake. I wouldn't be dogmatic about it, but I, I, I was uh, in a discussion with a Presbyterian preacher, and uh, he posed an argument to me, and his argument was solid, absolutely solid. So I had to accept what I believe is truth. And I want to talk about that the next hour because uh, I have to make that, uh, present that to you. But the imperishable crown, of course, is the crown of life. After we cross the finish line, the finish line is death. When we die, we've crossed the finish line. And now we are looking for the crown of life. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm trying to achieve. Thus I fight, not as one who just beats the air, shadow boxing, stuff like that. Uh, I fight intending to leave, leave a blow, make a blow with every lick, make every lick count. Not literally, but figuratively, of course. But I discipline my body. That's hard, so hard to do, uh, especially when it comes to the tongue. Uh, James uh, leaves us with the impression that it's the most challenging part we have to deal with in our life is our tongue. Of course, our tongue is attached to our heart, uh, our figurative heart. Uh, w what we say comes forth from the heart. Uh, sometimes the heart is angry. Sometimes the heart is foolish. Uh, the heart can uh, have all kinds of things going on. But uh, trying to bring ourselves uh, to discipline ourselves, uh, a, a, a drunkard has to learn, discipline himself, not to be a drunkard. Uh, whatever, whatever we engage in that is contrary to the will of God, we've got to rid ourselves of it. And whatever the Lord wants us to do, we must begin to do. So Paul said, I discipline my body. 
okay? I'm bringing it under control uh, that it, he can conform to the will of God. Uh, he brings it into subjection. Instead of his body telling his mind or spirit what to do, uh, his spirit, his mind is telling his body what to do. Uh, and you know as well as I do that a lot of people uh, are not uh, moved by right thinking. A lot of people are moved by their feelings. This is why so many people commit fornication or adultery. Intellectually, they know they shouldn't do it. But because of their lusts, their lusts take over their mind and they give in to their passions and they engage in wrongful activities. Uh, it's mind over matter, some say, and that's a fact. Uh, the mind can control the matter, but we have to do it. We have to make ourselves do it. Impure thoughts can be chased away. Hate can be chased away. It can be replaced with other things. I didn't used to think hate could be replaced chased away. I had a terrible time with that. Uh, I was an angry person a large part of my life. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't think I was going to master that hate part. Uh, but uh, I learned, I learned instead uh, to become a caring person rather than a hating person. And uh, I took uh, David's advice. Uh, I thought about the end of others, what their future held in store for them if they didn't repent. And uh, I felt sorry for them because I knew what their eternity would be like. And because I knew that, I couldn't hate them anymore. I could dislike them but I couldn't hate them. Uh, and there is a difference between the two. We have to bring ourselves into subjection to the Christ who lives in us, uh, our minds, and uh, have control of our bodies. I bring myself into subjection lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Uh, a lot of people say once you are saved, uh, you cannot be lost. Uh, Paul didn't believe that, obviously. Paul was, without doubt, a saved man. He went up to the third heaven and was with God himself. Uh, he was definitely a saved man. But he said if he didn't bring his shortcomings under control, if he didn't discipline himself, if he didn't let his spirit rule over his flesh, it was possible that after he'd done all this work in the kingdom of God, he would be lost in the last day. He had to master himself. He knew that. And that's what he struggled to do. Uh, and that's what we struggled to do as well. It's not a game. It's not a one-day-a-week religion. It's a seven-day-a-week religion. It's, uh, it's who we become. We become Christ-like. And that's what Paul did as well. It's a, it's a tall order.
There's no doubt about that. Uh, he was once qualified, then he could become disqualified. Uh, obviously, the teaching of once saved, always saved is a false doctrine. I know a lot of people, especially those who view us on camera, uh, are taught that, uh, but you can see for yourself that that's not true, uh, not according to the gospel that Paul preached. Uh, in grace, and then you could possibly fall out of grace if, uh, if you didn't mind yourself. Uh, preachers do that. Uh, that was always a fear I had. Uh, I, I was always afraid of losing my family to my preaching because uh, preaching uh, takes you away so much. Uh, back years ago when uh, everybody went to Nashville instead of Cookville, uh, I was going to Nashville two, three times a week. And uh, that's hard on family life because you know my study time was enormous besides the visitations I did. So uh, I had to come up with a plan of what I would do. I purchased a van, a big van, one of them kind of vans the kids could run around in. I purchased a van and uh, bought them uh, season passes at Opryland. And uh, we would go down the interstate, and of course we'd sing and talk and all that stuff. And then uh, I would drop them off at Opryland theme park and uh, I would go on down to the hospital and when we got done at the hospital, uh, I would come back uh, to Opryland and uh, I would go pick them up. Uh, it took a lot to do that, but I thought it was worth it because I, I've heard so much about that's preacher's kids. You know, they're rotten. And uh, I didn't want to raise uh, preacher's kids. I wanted my kids to be good people. So uh, we devised ways to make sure we spent enough time with them. Um, you have to discipline yourself. Put yourself out uh, sometimes uh, and, and seek to save. Especially your own family. Especially your own family. The children's a very good place to begin. Okay, that brings us into chapter 10. Any questions over chapter 9? Okay, uh, the danger of overconfidence. Uh, well, we're going to read the text first because uh, it's a little lengthy. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. We're to learn from this. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink. Then they rose up to play. 
nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt the Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. It's uh, very helpful if, if you have some understanding of the time that the children of Israel spent in the wilderness. Uh, if if you understand uh, that time frame in their history, you can appreciate more what Paul is saying right here. Uh, I don't have time to go through all of that, but um, you could read uh, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, especially. Uh, throw in Leviticus if you want to, uh, but uh, the three at least. Uh, and it, now I analyze, okay. Uh, emphasis on the word all, okay? The children of Israel were leaving Egypt. The, the night of the Passover had come. They were marching out of Egypt. Uh, all of them went. Every single Israelite went, man, woman, child. All our fathers were under the cloud, that uh, cloud of protection that was with them. All of our fathers passed through the sea. That's the Red Sea when Moses parted the water. Uh, they were all exposed to the same miraculous events, the cloud, the parting of the sea, walking across on dry ground. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Uh, there was uh, an immersion of sorts when they uh, passed through the sea, there was water on both sides, water way up over their heads. Uh, it wasn't over the top of their heads, but way up the sides where God made the water stand up. Uh, they were leaving Pharaoh as a ruler and passing into what would come from Moses. God would give his law through Moses. So they are baptized into Moses in a sense. Their obligation was going to be the law that was given through Moses, uh, beginning with the Ten Commandments, and of course the law extended from there on out. In uh, Psalm 105, verse 39, the psalmist said that God spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give them light in the night, the covering protected them from the hot sun, uh, and they were given light in the night by fire that followed them as well. Exodus 14, we read, so the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Uh, most uh, historians uh, that I've ever read uh, believe that when Moses parted the sea that it was at least a mile wide in order to get all the people across as quickly as they did. They believe that this, uh, this parting of the water set the two walls about a mile uh, uh, apart from each other. And because the water was at flood stage when they left Egypt, the water was up very high up into the air. It was as though they were passing through a tunnel of water, okay? 
baptized, immersed into Moses. The waters were a wall to them on both the right and left hand. Uh, oh, we've got a picture of it. The sea parted, of course, we're familiar with it. The cloud covered them. Uh, they weren't being cooked by the sun, uh, and they passed through on dry ground. The dry ground was a miraculous feat as well. It should have been very sloppy, quick sandy down there, but it wasn't. The ground was hard. They were baptized or immersed. They were buried under the cloud and in the sea. Uh, well, here's another one. Uh, they left Egypt. They went to the wilderness, and eventually, 40 years later, they would enter into the land of Canaan. But they had to begin by crossing the Red Sea. Later, they would cross the Jordan River the same way in order to enter into the land of Canaan. Now, the, I think the importance of all this is demonstrating the miraculous features that these people seen. Uh, the Lord didn't take them out of Egypt uh, at low tide for the Red Sea. He took them out when it was at its deepest part during the year. Uh, the waters were at flood stage, and the Jordan River was the same thing. The people are seeing something incredible. Could you, if you could imagine, there's at least 2 million people, perhaps as many as 4 million people, that are crossing the Red Sea. And they've got this cloud that covers them, and then they've got this uh, sea that just parted. They, seas don't part. They don't do stuff like that. And then they walk across dry ground. Uh, I don't know if you know, but they found uh, chariot wheels, uh, Roman helmet or Egyptian helmets, uh, all kinds of matter. Uh, where the Israelites passed through the sea. They've gone down there and, and retrieved a whole lot of that stuff. Uh, it's in museums. But, uh, and then when they go into the wilderness, uh, some of the feats, uh, they had no, no food. Try to feed two to four million people. If I, if I was going to do a real study on that, I would go into detail how much food it would take to feed these people every day. Uh, it seemed like it was 28 boxcars of a train uh, to feed them uh, just for one day. And uh, they had no food at all. Uh, what little they might have carried from home, which was going to last about a day, they, uh, they had no water. There was no water to drink, and they're in the desert. And it's hot, stinky, stinky hot, but they've got no water. And then God's going to supply them their food. They'll have the manna that they pick up off the ground, and sometimes he'll fly in quail so they can have some meat. Water <coughs> was fetched from a variety of places, uh, generally uh, because the Lord miraculously supplied the water. Water came out of a rock one time. Enough water to feed all the people, I mean to water all the people and their animals, keep them all alive. They were sustained by the mighty hand of God. They were stained, sustained by all these miracles. I'm saying all that so you can get the mindset of what the, what the mindset should have been of these people. They should have been believers on top of believers. 
because they've seen so many incredible things, things that you and I have never even dreamed of seeing, but they were exposed to all that in the wilderness and their exodus from uh, Egypt. Uh, Paul is saying here they were baptized into the Red Sea. Later, they're going to be baptized into the land of Canaan uh, by means of the Jordan River. Uh, two events. There's a reason for that, too, I believe. This is my opinion now. The first time when they crossed the Red Sea was for the benefit of the first generation that went into the wilderness. The second miraculous crossing was for the benefit of the second generation. These are the people who were born while they were in the wilderness or those who were under 20 uh, at the time uh, that they crossed over into the wilderness. Uh, all the others, t uh, 20 and above, uh, they were, they had to die in the wilderness because of their unbelief. So there was a second exposure to this mighty miracle for the sake of their children. Why don't we stop right there on verse 1. Uh, this is a uh, Chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 11, are very, very powerful. Uh, every one of us should be very familiar with it because it teaches us something we really don't want to think about, and that is the possibility of our falling from grace and the consequences that would follow if we did. 